Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. We have often invoked the intercession of Mary against heretical sex or whatever, that she has been uh, a help in those cases of right doctrine, of right living. And uh, in the past, so there, I had an episode a few months back about Mormonism and kind of an exploration, like what is Mormonism? Because we've heard it talked about, but maybe we didn't really understand all of it. And so I like to take the approach sometimes with the podcast that I like to learn right along with all of you. And so sometimes I bring on someone who's well-versed, an expert in an area, so that I can learn something. And uh, along the way, you too can learn something as well. And there's uh, another sect or heretical group, we could say, that I've been curious about for a very long time, and that is Freemasonry. Uh, I don't know too much about it. I know the popes have condemned it, that there's a, a writing of one of the Holy Fathers that really condemned it. I've had experiences where people told me things. For example, uh, I remember when I was a seminarian that there was... Uh, a first communion party I went to, and the one of the members there was a member of the of the Freemasons or the Masonic Lodge, and uh, she basically said, "Well, you know, the only reason the Catholics don't allow people to join the Freemasons is because they have the Knights of Columbus, and so uh, because you have your own society, they restricted people from joining them." And I'm like, ah, I don't think that's actually right. I think that there's a lot more going on there. Uh, she was very dismissive of my objections to what she was saying. Uh, in my experience as a pastor, sometimes I get tickets to the Shriners Beja Circus or whatever, and uh, I promptly throw them away because I don't want people going uh, to the circus sponsored by the Shriners. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. And kind of another little interest of mine is in my family line, uh, my great grandfather, my great-grandfather, so uh, was a Mason. And when I read the obituary, you know, belonged to the Masonic Lodge, when I was cleaning out some of my mother's belongings, I found the ri a ring that he wore. And so I promptly, like, put it into the ground so that uh, I wouldn't have it anywhere near me or whatever. So, um, so I buried it. So anyways, that's kind of my connection to Freemasonry. And now I want to learn a little more. So today I'm bringing on an apologist named David Gray. He's done a lot of work in Catholic media, and he himself was a Freemason. He was very much involved in it, and now he's doing a lot of work to expose it for all of us. So thanks so much, David, for joining me today. And I know that I believe you're still all the way across the pond over in Europe, so it's great to uh, have this conversation and to talk about what I think is an important topic. Yeah, Father Adeline, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, so maybe first, just uh, what's your relationship with Freemasonry? Maybe before we get into what is it, how did you mm -hmm. come to know it? Yeah, so I thought I, ever since I was a young child, maybe 11 or so, I, I knew I was going to become a, a Freemason. My, my father was a Freemason. My grandfather was a Freemason. My grandmother told me, um, when I was in high school, you know, yeah, you should become a Freemason. That's what men or our family do. It's what you should do. It's what we do in our community. 
um, she started listing people at the church, her church was the AME church, which an African Methodist Episcopal church, which was founded by Freemason Richard Allen uh, for a long time. Every bishop, um, until they started letting women be bishops, every bishop had been a Freemason. So, and so she started listing people uh, in her church. Oh, this is a person is a Freemason. You know, it's just, so it, it just, in, uh, it just, I just took as a matter of fact, oh, that's what I'll do. And I thought I'll, I'll have to be like older, more established to become a Freemason. But when I got to university that I went to, there were Freemasons on campus. And I, there was like this lecture that I went to about, it was about Prince Hall. He was an abolitionist in Boston. Um, he's a free black man. And I also I want to learn some more about him. I didn't know that was like a sort of like a a, a site that, I mean, a, a lecture that Freemasons were there and they were kind of looking to see who they might want to approach. And so after I attended that lecture, um, I was invited to another lecture, which I didn't know at the time was like some sort of, I want to say it, the word is on my tongue is like grooming, but we, we use that we use that word differently now. But kind of, that's kind of what it was, like oh, it's sort of like a grooming sort of thing. Um, and so next thing you know, you know, I'm just kind of I just kind of fell into Freemasonry at so that had to be like 1993. So I'm like what 21 years old, and so for the next 10 years of my life, I become very active in Freemasonry. It became my life. I was an agnostic at the time, so. For me, Freemasonry was kind of like my religion because they had a moral law, it had some principles, um, it had some sort of structure. And so I just made it my life and I advanced pretty fast. I received over, by the time I'm like 31, 32, I have received over like 50 degrees. I've become the second highest appointed officer in the Grand Lodge. I, I had done some things in Freemasonry that no one had done, um, had written books, made a fellow of, of Reactor Society. So just just kind of like what, what people call like just a really accomplished Freemason and people are putting me like on a fast track to become a 33rd in the Scottish Rite to eventually become a Grand Master. So, and then um, I had an encounter with Jesus Christ and then I followed him to his church and then I found out you can't be a Freemason. <laughs> and so I thought I was going to leave the subject alone. I was like, oh, Freemasonry is behind me. You know, I was baptized and confirmed in the church. So oh, Freemasonry is behind me. And then I become a Catholic and it um, and it, it just seems to, it just seemed to me that there were a lot of myths in Catholicism amongst Catholics, why you cannot be a Catholic and a Freemason. So I started writing a little bit, started speaking a little bit. And um, so that's kind of what I've been doing for the last 13 years, being trying to bust some myths up and really trying to educate people like, okay, this is what the church teaches. I mean, I know there's the myths, there's the sexy plots, gunpowder plots and all that, you know. Illuminati stuff, you know, but what does the church teach? And so that's where my focus has been for the last 13 years. I think a lot of times maybe we think about Freemasons and we think about just masonry itself and, you know, the brick layers and brick builders or whatever. There's no connection between that. Is there to Freemasonry? Actually, there's like a lot of connection. I mean, the this Freemasonry in about 1717, some Masonic scholars would say 1716, so they would they would argue that point. But 1717 or 1716, we see the establishment of a Grand Lodge system. And then from there, Freemasonry looks a little bit different as more like a fraternal organization with all these rituals and then these appendant bodies, Scottish Rite, York Rite. But before then, 
Um, so these are the same people who just years prior have belonged to a lot of where were guilds of Freemasons, stone cutters, um, stone masons who were the guilds responsible for building cathedrals and monasteries in Europe it, it, itself. These were these were these guys. So and so um, there was there was a, a transition that we can track between these guilds, these operative guilds, with now this new speculative, more fraternal society. Because they had the same members, and they also are using the same language, language like charter, warrant, cowan, and, and um, structures, apprentice, master. So they're taking everything that the operative masons use, and now they're putting it on top of like a philosophical degree system. So the guild system um, goes back all the way to like the um, eighth century. They were Catholics before they were Anglicans. They they in their structure they had deacons. They had a priest assigned to their to their guild. Um, they had a saint. To, so to this day, Freemasons still celebrate Saint John the Baptist, Saint John Evangelist. They still have candles. All this stuff, deacons, all this stuff carries over. And so what what happened was the reason why it was important to for them to make this transition was that after. The guild system started to dis diminish. Building, um, building, uh, you be able, you're able to build buildings faster than you know the stonemasons could. New technology came on board. More labor unions seemed to get rid of the guild system, and so, um, and also, but more importantly, what was going on in England was that well, now, like I said, the guild system used to be Catholic, then it was Anglican. Now the, the guilds in England are like they're fighting each other because of religion. So this this lodge of stonemasons were, you know, maybe largely Anglican. This one, some Puritans. This one, you know, some other Protestant type of thing. These guys over here, you know, Catholic. And so the stonemasons, um, they saw this as a disruption to them making money. It's always been about money. So they said, well, let's come together and let's see if we can keep our guild system together. But let's get religion out the way. Um, so we won't be all this infighting because um, there are some guilds that wouldn't even let Catholics in um, and Catholics wouldn't let, you know, other guys into their guild. Um, so let's make some money. And so and so this is really the philosophy behind the, the guild system. And so this is when you look at the grant, the, um, the, the um, Anderson's Constitution, it speaks this language that let's be we're going to establish a universal religion. They, this is what they say, by which all men can agree. And then it calls things such as your personal religion. They call it they call it your personal opinion. So they're subjugating the guild members' religion, and are putting on top of it this this weird religion that everyone can agree on with this grand architect of the universe as their god. And so that that was the basic idea. We can argue with that, saying that it was it was silly, but later on that that idea starts to take on a whole new life. And Freemasonry really does really does become a type of religion once it once it adds a philosophy to that to that business plan. And you just touched upon maybe a few basic tenets of Freemasonry, but you know what is it that they exactly believe or put forward for belief? To be a member, what are you adhering to? That you believe in one God. That's the, that's the question you're asking the first degree after you come into the door. Uh, you approach the worship master and he says, in whom do you put your trust? Usually you're prompted with the right answer, but the answer is I believe in God. So Freemasons, <clears throat> there was a little bit of issue with this. We don't have to get into because they did make some allowances for the Hindus. But, um, but the basic belief is that you do believe in one God. So Freemasonry has always been open to the Christian, the Jew, 
and a Muslim. And when it comes to uh, it being kind of, you know, you mentioning a little bit like a religion, do people gather for services? Like, what does that look like? And, you know, I kind of, you mentioned just a few moments ago about how you adhere to Freemasonry and then maybe your other religion is just your own opinion or something like that. Uh, I have a distinct memory in my childhood that in the town that I grew up in, there was a Freemason lodge. And I, you know, I, I know where it was. It was like on the way to the high school. And then uh, I, I remember this obituary of a person, I think it was a friend of, of mine, their grandfather, you know, member of the Freemason Lodge. So I think they had a funeral service at the lodge, but mm -hmm. then they also, interestingly enough, had a Catholic funeral or a Lutheran funeral. I forget the religion, but they did have their, their personal religion funeral as well. So, and, you know, if it was a Catholic, I think I was like off put by that because I'm like, well, how can you be a Mason and a Catholic or whatever? So um, I struggled with that. But but yeah, what is it that makes it like a religion, I guess? Is there worship and such? Yeah, I would say really three things, and I'll touch on what Pope Clement XII said in 1738. Um, so Freemasonry has a lot of religious elements. So in Freemasons, Freemasons would admit this. They'll deny that Freemasonry, Freemasonry is a religion. That's one of the first things they like to say. But they will say it does have a lot of religious elements because it does have an altar. It does have a holy book on that altar. It's typically a Protestant Bible. <clears throat> um, they do the language that it agrees. This it sounds religious. They speak of an afterlife. They, they call um, the apron that they wear a lamb skin apron is white, is pure. You know, there's some sort of a little bit of play on Jesus there. They use a lot of scriptures during the, during the rituals. Um, on the first degree, I think the Bible is every degree. The Bible <clears throat> has a, is open to a certain scripture. Like in the first degree is Psalms 133. Behold how good it is for brethren to gather unity. In the fellow craft degree is Amos um, chapter, I forget, but it's, Amos, um, God show him a plumb line on the wall. Um, I forget what the third degree is. So it's a lot of religiosity there. So they do have that. Yes, like you notice, they do have <clears throat> a burial degree, but a lot of fraternities do, right? My college fraternity had a burial degree, but I mean a burial right. But so that's uh, you know that's that's one of those things. But if we look in the language of their funeral rites, you know we do see some some suspicious things there. Like oh, what are they what are they really trying to say? What's being promised here? As they lay this evergreen on the casket and the apron on the casket, what are they saying? So there's some things there we can um, be concerned about. But here's what Pope Clement um, the Twelfth found most concerning in 1738 when he wrote his um, papal bull in enmity, uh, high warning against Freemasonry. He had four critiques of Freemasonry. Two was theological. They were first that Freemasonry, um, they're practicing indifferentism, which like I said, in Anderson's Constitution, which he would have access to, it subjugates religion. And it, it creates, and it says that all other religions are equal with each other. So that's, that's indifferentism. Like there's there's nothing supernatural about Catholicism. There's nothing special. It's just like Islam. So that was his critique. He also said along with that, uh, Freemasonry, they're, they're practicing naturalism because you can make yourself what Freemasons call a better man just by your own human effort just by applying a working tool like the compass to your own life. 
So Freemasons were saying it in the first degree that the coppice, um, you know, stonemasons use it to circumscribe, you know, make perfect circles. But as a Freemason, you're taught to use it for a more noble and glorious purpose. You're taught to uh, create, create a, a boundary around your life based upon a Masonic moral law. And, um, and you cannot go outside that boundary. So that's naturalism. You're just using just basic you know, some self-help to make yourself the so-called better man. Pope Clement was concerned with that because it, as Catholics, it's not our own human effort, it's through God, through his, own, um, through his grace, through the sacraments of the church. Now, the second theological critique was that Freemasons are have they own their own moral law, which I said when I was an agnostic, I found attractive. They tell you what to do, what not to do. Um, but for Pope Clement, he's like, well, there, there's a problem here because, for example, what one of the uh, one of the moral laws is that if a worship master summons you to the lodge on a Sunday or any day, um, you have to come. You have to obey that summons, or you're going to get um, suspended or expelled. So Freemasons has to, he has to make a choice. What if this is a holy day of obligation? What if this is the feast of Corpus Christi? The, the master summons you to the lodge at six o'clock. That's the only time I can go to mass. So you have to make a choice. And so Pope Clement found that it'd be very troubling because a person has to choose. Am I going to obey the Masonic law or the, uh, or the or the divine law? And also included in that was just the obligation in an obligation Freemasons take. Pope Clement said there's a host of grievous punishments. So you have the Masonic death penalty, basically, that if you don't obey, if you violate, you spell the secrets of a, of a master Mason fellow craft, whatever, then, you know, these, these horrible things that happen to you. And at the end of the obligation, you say, so help me, so help me God and keep me steadfast. So you say, if I violate these secrets, my throat's going to get cut out or something like that. So help me God and keep me steadfast. What God is this that you're swearing this obligation to that he's some sort of God of death? So all these things that Pope Clement found to be very troubling just in 1738. So you mentioned about Freemasonry that you know, I think when you were involved, you were something in the 50s, but then there's a 33rd degree. So what are all these numbers about? I think the 33rd degree is like someone once described it to me, and this could be completely false. And, you know, maybe it was just their off the cuff statement. But if you're a 33rd degree Freemason, it's almost like you have the mind of God or something like that. So or and maybe I'm just remembering that incorrectly. But uh, what what's up with that? And and kind of how you rise through the ranks of, of the Masonic Lodge. Yeah, there's so many myths about the 30, 33rd degree. It's kind of, it, it tickles me, it tickles me sometimes. I, I, I get it. It's, you know, you could probably sell a new Dan Brown book with that. It's, <laughs> it's um, but, you know, I, I get it. But so, so the 33rd degree system, well, the system where you find a 33rd degree, I think that's the most popular, the most well-known because it has, it's the only degree system that has numbers attached to it, right? So that's the Scottish Rite. It goes from four up to 33. It's relatively new. It started in South Carolina, the whole system together. I think up to 22 was some degrees that, that were being worked in France for you know a while. But in South Carolina, 11 guys, they called them the 11 gentlemen, got together, reworked the degree, wrote some new degrees, and they had this new 33 degree, degree system and spread to you know New York and then other parts of the world. And, but it's, it's an American invention. Um, it's not even used, you know, you go to England, you really don't run into many people who are practicing the Scottish Rite. So it's it's, it's, kind of, it's an American thing, but it's kind of popular and it has numbers attached to it. 
Um, and then there's the York Rite, um, which if you look at Freemasonry like a pyramid, you like a Scottish Rite, York Rite, York Rite has like houses. They have your your York Rite, they have your, I'm sorry, yeah, the York Rite, Royal Select um, Master. No, I'm sorry, your Royal Arch, your Royal Select Master, your Knights Templar. So for Shriners, it used to be the case to be a Shriner, you had to be on top of one of those pyramids. You could be a nice Templar, or you can be a thirty a 32nd. A 33rd degree is kind of reserved. It's like a select degree. Different parts of the world operated differently. In the northern jurisdiction, United States, it's kind of like a fundraiser. A lot of people are like 33rds in the northern jurisdiction because, you know, you just pay your money. You just kind of get in and kind of know somebody. In, in the southern jurisdiction, United States, your southern state, south of the Mason-Dixon line, it's more select. It's even more select than places like Australia, New Zealand. When I was in Australia, New Zealand, um, I think they were telling me um, when I was meeting some people there, they said, yeah, in our country, there's only like just a handful of 33rds. So in the United States, heck, there's a handful of 33rds in my lodge. So <laughs> it's, it's just it's just different. Um, but so what's going on in the degrees? What's, what's the big mystery? Like I told you, it's really just self-help, but it's also a story under it. So each degree tells a story. It's, it's historical fiction. It's a little bit of truth, typically from scripture, and then some fiction added to it. So the first three degrees is the building of King Solomon's temple. And there's some fiction added to it because they added a new character who lost the secrets of building. And then as a 33rd, you're trying to find these lost secrets of a master mason. Scottish Rite is repetitive, same thing. York Rite, same thing, just these stories. The only really difference is once you get to the nice Templar and then once you get past the 18th degree in a Scottish Rite, the stories are more about knighthood. For example, the 30th degree, um, what happens is they tell this funny story. Well, not well, funny in a sense, because um, I call, call it a historical grievance story. Like, I don't know why Freemasons thought this was this made sense to be mad about something. It's kind of like telling Black Americans you should be still mad about slavery. You know, so these Freemasons are convinced to be mad because at some point in time, the King of France, Philip, um, he, he colluded with um, the Pope at the time, which I think is also was a Clement at that time, colluded with him to give the Knights Templar the death penalty, right? Because the Knights owed Philip a bunch of money, and Philip had been trying to get rid of him for a long time. He finally finds a Pope who can go along with his plan and all this stuff. And uh, and so at, at some point in time, in degree, they 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 have a temper tantrum where the master degree tells you that you have to go step on a crown, the TR of the Pope, and go step on a crown of Philip, because he's he, he was an imposter Pope. Um, he was not a real vicar of Christ. He was a fake king, and everyone liked him. And so it's this temper tantrum that you have in the 30th degree. Um, the 30th degree isn't op actually operated in the northern jurisdiction. I never experienced it. It's actually in the southern jurisdiction, but so I read about it. But um it, it, so, it, it, so, but that's the story. And each degree just has a story they reenact, and then they give you an obligation and a secret handshake and a sign and all this stuff. So, it's really basic. At the point in time, um, so I had the I had the thirty second degree, and then I went up to York Right, had some other degrees. So at some point in time, I'm thirty one. I got like fifty degrees, and I get bored of the whole thing. I was like, this is this is the secrets. This is all you guys have to offer a bunch of historical fiction with a secret handshake. I could have stayed at home for this. And so I, I was kind of like. I got bored with Freemasonry really fast once I got all the degrees because there was no real secrets. Nothing I could have found. Even back in the 90s, I could have went to the internet and found this stuff. How to help yourself, make yourself a better man. So it's 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 really just foolishness.
Well, one of the, the rights or the groups or whatever language it is you mentioned were the Shriners. And I think when it comes to Freemasons, uh, we have a little familiarity as people. So I think as I was driving back home last night from where I was at, uh, right away as I got to the town, it says free and welcome or something like free and accepted, it said. And then oh, okay. Sonic Lodge symbol, you know. So I think you see that often at at least in rural America or or Wisconsin, where I'm at. You see the sign of the Freemasons, one of the community organizations like the Lions or the Elks or whatever. But they have like a welcome sign, so that's one of the familiarities. You probably see the Masonic Lodge then uh, if you're driving about, walking about town. So you have a familiarity there. But then there's the Shriners, and they wear these funny hats. And so, you know, if you want to talk about Knights of Columbus, you know, the Knights of Columbus used to have their funny hats too, right? But so yeah. the Shriners, when I was a kid, they would come to the, the parade uh, in town, in the small town I grew up in, in Okano. They would, they, I don't know if this is a common thing, but they had like this bicycle that 30 of them were riding and that was kind of their parade thing. And so uh, I think we know a little bit about the Shriners because, because they're visible. And, and uh, with their hats, right. And so then also, too, I know there's uh, the for where I'm from. And again, I don't know if this is widely across the, the platform or not, but uh, the circus in town in Green Bay was always sponsored by the Shriners uh, as well. And then sometimes on the on the television, if you're watching a show, you might see a commercial for the Shriners Hospital. Mm -hmm. so, and like, you know, just like you would give money to St. Jude, they're asking you to give money to the Shriners Hospital. Kind of yeah. cringe when I see it, just knowing what I know about Freemasonry. And, and like so many people probably don't even know the Shriners are a branch of Freemasonry. So yeah. what are the Shriners? Is there room to be concerned uh, as we're exposed to them and, you know, kind of some of the benevolent things they might do, et cetera? Yeah. It's, it's it's one of those as as I mentioned about the other degrees in Freemasonry. There's a story you tell when you're obligated. You're given a secret handshake. The unique thing about the Shriners is that it's unlike anything you've ever seen in whether it's, whether it's properly Freemasonry or the Masonic rites. Well, I mean properly Freemasonry. Freemasonry is just for degree one through three, and then there's your Masonic rites, and then but no Freemason ever calls the shrine. Freemasons, because there's there's something different about them, and is this is that on the altar there's a Quran instead of you know the the Protestant Bible, and also that there's no relationship with the other degree system. There's no sort of graduation. We see that with once you get your third degree and go to York Rite, you're still continuing that story of King Solomon's Temple in the York Rite and the Royal Select. Um, and then you go to your chivalry degrees and your Knights Templar. And then it's, you see the same thing in the Scottish Rite. There's that King Solomon thing, the building, you know, you're still building stuff. And then you transition to knighthood. So there seems to be some sort of historical um, um, uh, a sense or whatever, or, or descent or some sort of, you know, relationship between these, these things. The principles are very similar as well. But once you get to the shrine, they have a Quran, their, their passwords are Islamic. You know, the greeting with hello, Akbar, these, all these Islamic, it's all these Islamic things. So 
the origin of degrees. So the origin of degrees is this guy from New York. I forget his name. He he has some very wealthy friends. He travels to Middle Eastern country. I think it was Saudi Arabia. And he's invited to this party of these wealthy, very wealthy people. And at, at some point in the party, they start this fun thing that they do where everyone's initiated into this thing. And it's like a it's like a party, joyful sort of thing where you get a secret password on this. So this guy comes back and he goes back another time, takes some more notes, and then he comes back and he creates this, this degree system called the ancient Arabic order of nobles at a mystic shrine. It's it's a joke. And then, but he wants to grow this thing. And so he partners with the grand, I think the Grandmaster of New York. And Grandmaster of New York, Freemasons, agrees that, okay, this could be a Masonic rite, but you can only accept Master Masons, I mean, only accept Freemasons as your members. And that's the criteria of any Masonic rite. You can only accept Master Masons or Freemasons, 30, so whatever the agreement is, into your right. And it just kind of, and it spreads. And they, because they're only accepting 30 seconds and nice Templars, their membership is pretty wealthy, is pretty exclusive, is some of the elite people in, in Freemasonry, not just your Master Masons. And so they have they have money, they have wealth, um, and they they use that. They, they could have went the path like the Knights of Columbus and started some sort of investment house. But no, they, they take their wealth and they, they start um, creating hospitals, then they have circuses and but overall, there still was called the fun house. They still stick true to their origins. So you see them with their little hats and their little cars. They party like no one has ever seen. And so it's, it's, um, when I was a Freemason, everyone knew that the Shriners were the fun house. Um, and, and so that's that's the relationship to Freemasonry. Were you a Shriner? I was never a Shriner because, I, I was, Father, I was a serious person back then. So I said... And I knew, at least where I was at in Ohio, um, the Shriners, I knew, I didn't consider them to be high character people. I knew they messed with each other's wives. I knew men who were committing adultery. And so there's this fun house thing. And it's kind of weird. I was so judgmental of Shriners, no type of person, you know, because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't an angel, but I was very judgmental of Shriners. Like, oh, they're really bad. <laughs> so, no, I didn't want to be associated with that debacle, even as an agnostic as I was. So should I throw away the Shriner Beja tickets to the circus when they send them to my church wanting people to go for free? Oh, well, so because you're still promoting Freemasonry and because you still have to be a Freemason to be a Shriner. So you're supporting, when you support the Shriners, whether they're hospitals and anything, you're still supporting that feeder system of, of Freemasonry. And so um, they, you know, they're like St. Jude Hospital. We can't say that the Shriners Hospital does not do not help people. We cannot say we don't know a couple, you know, a decent atheists here and there. We know a couple good guys in prison. That that's not the standard, right? So um, and so and so what the popes have taught. So there was a time when people like Pope Clement the Twelfth and um, the Pope after him, um, I think Benedict, um, uh, yeah, right after him, they were teaching that. If you even let a Freemason use your house, if you let your Freemason, you have a, 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 a rental room, you let Freemasons rent that. If you have any association whatsoever with anything Freemasons are doing, you're excommunicated. That's not the that's not the um, response anymore. Um, but that that sort of sends a signal that 
what, what the popes were saying that we should not we shouldn't have any dealings, any commerce, any exchange with that organization because they are plotting against the church. So the Freemasons and Masonic lodges, all that has always kind of given me the heebie-jeebies, you know, just because of my Catholic roots and wanting to be faithful and all that. Mm -hmm. And so I've always known to stay away from it. Uh, when I was a kid, I did go to the Beja Shriner Circus. I didn't know any better. My family didn't know, uh, whatever. But uh, I guess, you know, so what What do you say to a person, uh, maybe two instances. So I shared earlier in the intro that I found out that one of my relatives, my great-grandfather, Thomas Victor, that he was a member of the, the Masonic Lodge and was a Freemason, I would think. So so um, what do you say to a person like that that maybe has concern that it was in their family line? But then here's another instance that, uh, and so I, I guess I just have such reservation about even going to this building because of its former roots and association of being a, a, a Masonic Lodge, that in Green Bay, there is the Cup of Joy Coffee House. Hmm. And so they used to be downtown. They had a very small venue. Well, this big, huge Masonic Lodge was selling or whatever. And so now the Christian Coffee House that has music concerts and everything like that every Friday and Saturday, they're over there. And mm. so that's their new place. And and for whatever reason, like I, I just, there have been concerts I wanted to go to at the Cup of Joy, but I just had such strong reservations that it used to be a Masonic Lodge. I'm like, mm. oh, of course, you know, maybe I could approach them and be like, have you ever like had this building blessed by a Catholic priest? Now they're not Catholics, they're probably evangelicals that run it. So would they even be open to it? But, but that's given me the heebie-jeebies, you know, to, to even go there. So um, yeah, I guess family and then even a former association of buildings. What, what do you think about all that? Yeah, I think you did the right thing with the ring case. Um the ring that you found, you buried it. I think that's that's one of the responses you want to do when you find that stuff in your family, whether it's books, whether it's jewelry, whether it's aprons, um, either figure out how to burn it or figure out how to dispose of it in, in, in some sort of way so that no one else uses it again, because we don't know what um, would have made it attached to it. And I think the right response with the, you know, the coffee houses, you know, yeah, because I, I was going to ask you, hey, has anyone been there? Has anyone have a Catholic police blessed it yet? I was wondering about that. But here's here's why, um, you know, because I really didn't talk about the mnemonic aspect of uh, Freemasonry. I alluded to it a little bit when I talked about the obligation. Like, who's this God that you're swearing your life to, that you're, you're promising your life to, because you're saying he can give you death, that you promised death. To this, to this God. So we know that there's a false God included here. But one thing that I've noticed about Freemasons that, um, and I, I would say when I was a Freemason, I, you know, I got really into the esoteric stuff. And because like I said, Freemasonry didn't really, I got bored with it. So I say, hey, what's next? So, you know, we got into the Wiccanism and then all, all this, you know, so Freemasonry opens up doors to the demonic because it, it, it doesn't teach you the truth. It, it makes a false promise. And and it alludes to some sort of things that say, hey, maybe I, I want to find out some more about this. And you start going down some dark doors. And so, but also, if you, most Freemasons don't do that. But what, Freem what active, Freem active Freemasons do get exposed to is just this prolonged exposure to these degrees um, that um, 
uh, uh, all these obligations where you're making these promises to this false god of this plane with Christianity, not being able to say the name Jesus in the lodge, making mockery sort of the lamb, um, uh, using scriptures for nefarious purposes, all this prolonged exposure to this mocking of Christianity and all this denial of Jesus Christ is it, it does have the same effect as if a person who has prolonged exposure to pornography, prolonged exposure to alcoholism. It, it starts to weigh on your soul. It starts to diminish your capacity and it separates you further and further from God. So you oftentimes hear about Freemasons, older Freemasons having health issues. Freemasons have a lot of high divorce rates, um, a lot of broken families. It's, it's you know, I, I wonder if there's even been a study on this. I hope, I, I wish there there would have been. And so, because um, um, I've seen this myself with older Freemasons, there's always a lot of brokenness, a lot of a lot of really health issues and things like that. So, um, and so of course, the right response I think for Catholics is easy. Hey, this is what the Church teaches. For Protestants, I always thought the case was a little bit harder because you know, through Scripture alone, how do you you know how do you approach this? But um, but we 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 do need to um, do as much as we can to bring as many people as we can out of Freemasonry. Um, so I think that's the goal. So you left Freemasonry. You had an experience with the Lord. You came to the Catholic Church. Now you're an apologist and evangelist. You do a lot of work spreading the faith. So um, for for a person that maybe has family members that's a Freemason, what do you say to them? Like. How do you encourage them to maybe tell their family member to leave or why should a person leave Freemasonry? I think it's kind of self-evident by everything that you just said. Um, but but how how does that person make the next move that maybe mm. it was just a family thing? It was something they kind of like you, you became involved because it was just kind of the thing you did, just like, mm. uh, you know, how we hand on catholicism to our kids we baptize them young and they grow up in it and whatnot so so a person immersed in this culture could could easily just not think any better or to the person that might say well i don't think there's any objections to being a catholic and a freemason like i'm okay being both like i guess what are your what do you say in the midst of all this and uh yeah leaving it and, and whatnot yeah, so I've been really involved in this for like for the past 13 years. So I have, I used to receive, I do still occasionally do receive letters from, um, it breaks my heart too. I, I receive a lot of letters from women who married a Freemason, uh, Catholic women, and their husband won't leave Freemasonry. Or, hey, we got married and he joined them on the Lodge. And, you know, what should I do? And, and that that's always a tragedy because, you know, you know, because I hear the common things, you know, he's spending a lot of time away from home and, you know, it's, it's all the, all the crap I used to do. And it's, it's, it's you know, some of that stuff comes to head. So as far as encourage the women in that situation, pray and fast, pick one day in a month at least, and just fast and pray for your husband. Um, and for men, I have, I have a, I have a harder time with with men. Um, getting a man out of Freemasonry is, uh, is probably even more difficult than 
um, encouraging a man to get out, out of pornography because pornography, I think, affects the body. You know, you get it's a habit that you build. Um, there's some body chemicals that's attached to that, the urges and all that stuff. It's, it's a lot of a biological aspect to it as well. But Freemasonry, um, it, it it attaches to the mind in a way that is is very hard to break. One, you have friends that you make in Freemasonry, your brothers that you call them. Then there's the thing that Freemasonry puts on you. It gives you all these titles. Like when I was, I was a worshipful master. I was a high priest. I was a district deputy. These are, you take a person who didn't have maybe much in life. You know, he's just a you guys. He worked at a factory all his life. Um, at home, you know, he's you know, you know, he feels his wife, kids don't really think much of him or whatever. Whenever he's in, he has some sort of low self esteem. You start calling this guy a worshipful master. You start calling him a most excellent. All the, all this stuff, it's hard to let go of the, these things. Um, it's, it's a culture you get used to, friendships and all this stuff. So I've, I've had a lot of difficulty convincing men because they, they they hear the truth from me. This is what the church teaches. You're a Catholic. Um, you're not in communion with the church. You know you can't receive communion in this in this state. That's what the church teaches. Um, but they still want to fall back on some of the same myths. Oh, the church really doesn't teach that anymore. Oh, you know, my priest says that it's okay. You know, so there's, there's always this competition between the truth and hearsay. So again, um, um, and also a lot of places, even with the, the nice Templar, there's a lot of chapters in this country where the Freedom the Lodge and the, the nice Columbus chapter, they're using each other as recruiting grounds. And so we're we're having a big problem with a lot of nice Columbus chapters as, as well. So we have a lot of a lot of work to do with men. And um, and um, so that's the work I've been engaged in. So I really don't have like a, a short answer. Only thing I know is I think a, a person with a good heart, he really wants to obey the Lord. He really wants to get to heaven. He's going to hear us out about what the church teaches, and he's going to make he's going to make an adult decision, and it's going to be good for him and in, in, in his family. Now you know the myths that you keep talking about. One of the things I think a person in this situation would say, well, it's really just a social club. It's it's nothing more. You're making a big deal about this. This is just a bunch of guys that get together and maybe they play dress up, you know, go through some ceremonies or whatever. But but really, they're they're just it's but you can't be a Freemason just because it's a social club. It's not like if you go to a Freemason meeting and you know, I don't know when they meet, let's say they meet Tuesdays at 6 30 p.m. Like you go to that, you can't say it's just a social club because there there's order and everything to it, right? Like that would be something. Uh, yeah, that's funny you said that. Like your argument, I think I don't think I've ever actually used that one. When you know people say it's a social club, I just kind of point them to um, Pope Leo Thirteen because he had a whole encyclical. It's not a social club, basically. He monogenous, you know. He he tackles that whole issue and by being um, philanthropic, he tackles that. But I like your argument actually because guess what? Freemasonry never calls itself a social club. So you're calling Freemasonry something that it doesn't say about itself. What does it say about itself? Well, Anderson's Constitution, it calls itself a universal religion. It calls itself a fraternal order. It calls itself an organization that makes good men better. At no point in time have I ever seen any document, any encyclopedia in Freemasonry where it calls itself a social club. So that's a flawed argument itself. That, I like that. I mean, thank, thank you, Father Looney. I'm going to I'm going to use that in the future. <laughs> so you mentioned some of the popes already. So you said 
Pope Clement, he wrote something back in 17 whatever. And now mm-hmm. you just said Pope Leo the 13th. I love Pope Leo the 13th. He wrote these in the uh encyclicals every year in October on the rosary. I I you know, I think it's a great crime that Pope Leo the 13th is not Saint Leo the 13th. Yeah. Uh, you know, John the 23rd is a pope, he, you know, or is a saint. He was just declared by Pope Francis. We should declare mm-hmm. Pope Leo the 13th a saint. Okay. Uh rant over. So, but how many popes have spoken, written all of that about uh, about Freemasonry? Yeah, so from 1738, um, so it started with Clement the Twelfth, and um, then there's Pius the Ninth, who wrote the most about Freemasonry. So um, Clement's immediate successor, um, then Leo the Thirteenth. So I think altogether there may have been five or, or six popes, and then we get to the canon laws. There's been two canon laws about secret societies. The first one in 1917 supposedly said Freemasonry, and then the one in 1983 says secret societies. And, uh, and so there's so, uh, and then there's what Pope Benedict XVI, well, he, when he's Ratzinger, a CDF, he had, he had mentioned um, something about Freemasonry that even though this the canon law doesn't mention Freemasonry explicitly, the penalty is still in place in, in canon law. And um, Pope, um, and, and and so that that came from the CDF. So, um, so we're talking about five or six popes, two canon laws. We're talking about one papal bull, one apostolic exhortation, several encyclicals. Like I said, mainly with Pius the Ninth. Um, fun fact though, the reason, one reason why I wonder if Leo the Thirteenth cannot be a Freemason because him and Pius the Ninth have this same problem, that they're the only two popes that we know that there's credible evidence that. At some point in time in their youth, long before they were priests, they may have been initiated into the first degree. Not a red flag because a bunch of kids were in Europe. It was just for Freemasons did. They always went after the 17-year-olds. But um, but that that's one interesting fun fact that I don't lot think a lot of people know. Well, that's interesting too that you say that. And I was actually going to let go to a next question about kind of Freemasonry in the church today. And so that was kind of like the perfect lead in that you just led me through the door that I could walk right into and through. So, but, you know, you mentioning the youth maybe being initiated. Well, Ratzinger always gets dinged because he was a member of the Hitler youth, you know? So, so we can maybe hopefully give these, uh, Holy Fathers, the benefit of the doubt. And yeah, it's interesting then that they come so strongly out against it because if they did have an experience mm-hmm. of it, well, then that gives them even more credibility, I would think. So, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, there's conspiracy theories out there today. And some people would say that some issues in the church right now that may, and, and you know, I don't know if this is the, I haven't read Taylor Marshall's infiltration book. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but. But uh, I, I'm wondering if, like, you know, maybe a theme of that book is the infiltration of the church by Freemasons, for example, or something like that. So, so is there anything to indicate or any evidence to say that that maybe some of the corruption that we see in the church could be just that, that uh, maybe Freemasonry has taken root within it? And, and maybe, too, just as a follow-up, you know, one of those things, again, maybe a myth, but, like, Freemasonry was meant to destroy the church. Was that like to to be at odds with the Catholic Church? So yeah, those are two questions. Maybe could be wedded together. 
Yeah. The power lunar, you're really hitting all cylinders today, man. So yeah, I could... <laughs> these are great questions. So I can ask, I, can, I probably want to probably say two things about this. One, have there always been Freemasons in the church? Yes, there have been. We never had a Masonic Inquisition. Perhaps we we should have. So from the very beginning, perhaps maybe even with Cardinal, with Pope um, Clement XII, maybe his nephew Neri, because um, Neri was trying to convince him he's a Cardinal and he's trying to convince him not to write the encyclical, especially because he, he was saying, oh, the Freemasons are England. They're just an innocent myrrh, mirth, which was interesting because the, the, um, the constitution of Anderson's constitution, they use that same language about Freemasonry. He says, when the lodge is over, let's enjoy ourselves with innocent mirth. And then Neri uses that same language and he's trying to convince his uncle not to write the paper bull. So, but Freemasons have always been in the Catholic church. We even have them now, people who have admitted it. This isn't just a myth. So yes, now, has so in, in Dr. Taylor Marshall's book, Infiltration, I think we have to dismiss that just because his thesis is off because he says the infiltration, we know it because the Carbonari, which was an Italian group, um, he says that um, they wrote this um, Alta Vendetta, and Alta Vendetta shows the plot of infiltration, they're going to put their own pope in place. And he says, well, that's the Freemasons. His problem with that book, and I, and I wrote him about this, you know, the, the Carbonari were not Freemasons. So you, so that, so the thesis is off in the book. It throws a whole book off. But, um, but yeah, we can, we can, we can say that, you know, when we look at Leo, we look at Pius IX. Um, clearly, there is a big concern here about priests uh, being initiated, being influenced. Um, there's a lot of so they 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 wrote about this stuff. So it's, this has always been a concern. But when we look at the church today, you know, when we, we look at some of the things that's going on in the world, we have to dismiss the idea that, yeah, we can say Freemasons had their day. The whole idea of separation of church and state, public schools, um, free will divorce, funeral homes. Leo and Pius IX always said the Freemasons were responsible for that stuff. And nowadays, we just can't get away from this idea of separation of church and state. It's infected the world. So they had their day, and some of the things they laid down were still giving us problems. But we look around the world today. We see um, the LGBT agenda. We, we see big tech, what they're doing. It doesn't seem to be that the Freemasons, who, are, who love family, um, who, when I was a Freemason, you'll get excommunicated for doing homosexual stuff. When I excommunicated, expelled. There's even some, there's, the world is so, even Freemasons would disagree with some of the stuff that's going on in the world today. So, so we have to wonder, like, when we look at the problems in the world, we have to wonder, is it really the Freemasons or has their agenda been transplanted and being used by other people nowadays? And one of the interesting things, too, I think a lot of our founding fathers, weren't they Freemasons here in the United mm -hmm. States? Yeah. So, yeah. and that's kind of probably how some of their principles take root within our country uh, and yeah. such. So, well, this has been a very fascinating question. Of course, uh, the Blessed Mother, she's right behind me in uh, this uh, video. Uh, and for audio listeners, you won't see that. But uh do, do the Freemasons reject the Blessed Mother or anything like that? Does she have any interplay uh, beside maybe praying for the conversion of sinners, as she said, to Adele Bryce and Champion, and maybe Freemasons being lumped into that group of praying for their conversion out of that to the one true faith? So, uh, but any anything with the Blessed Mother and Freemasonry? 
That's a great question. Now that you asked that, I, I was just thinking just right then, I've, I've never heard any women except for the woman who threw a red cord down in the old Tesla, forget her name. She was a prostitute, but I think that's the only woman I've ever heard about ever in any Masonic degree. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's no commentary. There's plenty of commentary on, on the vicar of Christ. Once you get to the knights, the knighthood degrees, because they're knighthood degrees. They talk about a vicar of Christ. They talk about Jesus, even in a positive way, the knighthood degrees because they're knights, but yeah, no commentary on the, on the blessed mother. Interesting. And, and this is just me like thinking about Marian apparitions, but I wonder if there's been a Marian apparition and it doesn't have to be an approved apparition like Fatima, like to that degree. But I wonder if there's a message of Our Lady that she spoke that's out there, not a condemned message that she maybe referenced Freemasonry. You know, that would oh, just... yeah, Our Lady of Good Success. Oh, oh there you go. Yeah, wow. she's, okay. she calls them, she, she mentions so this is the 1500s before Freemasonry becomes a, a oh wow eternal order. Yeah, she 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 um there you go. She, yeah, she says it's gonna cause us problems. And that was a you know Our Lady of Good Success often cited as a very prophetic Marian apparition. Uh, mm -hmm. Lots of things that she said to that nun in uh, Ecuador, I think. Yep. Quito. Uh, yep. Yeah, in Quito. That uh, that things that we see you can't read our lady of good success and look at today and not say that wow i think that we are living in what our lady spoke to that nun and uh so prophetic i think so yeah. well this has been a very fascinating conversation you've answered a lot of questions because of course as a pastor i've i've always not promoted the shriner circus and i always wondered if i was like you know, am I taking some an experience away from kids? Of course, parents can buy tickets. I just wasn't going to get free tickets, you know. So, but uh, all these questions I've had about Freemasonry, you've shed a little light on it, and uh, I know that as a person ha who has left Freemasonry and now you're doing all this work, uh, have you written about it? Do you like what are some of your resources available? Uh, yeah, my main book is called The Catholic Catechism on Freemasonry. So I wrote that a couple years ago. I'm going to update it soon, add some more information, but it's my, is I try to make it all I had to say about Freemasonry, about what the church teaches about Freemasonry. So I explain exactly what Freemasonry is. Um, and then I give commentary on each one of the papal bulls, encyclicals, apostolic as exhortations, um, canon laws. I give a commentary on each of them. I explain it in context. And, and so that, yeah, that's my seminal work on this subject well that's wonderful and people can check out your website what is it yeah um um david l gray dot info so david l gray that's gray for an a dot info and my apostolate is saint dominic's media and that's saint dominic's media.com and you have a project that you're working on right now with saint dominic's media uh that i'll be a part of and we're yeah. going to be doing a, another conversation later this week so I'm excited uh, about that. Recording, but but tell us about that project. Yeah, so I gathered together some of what I think are the leading um, priests, religious people, um, evangelists, um, to talk about the loss of sacred in society today. That we seem to have replaced what God has given us as gifts that we call sacred with these things that we call these rights that we made up, a right to abortion, a, a right to vote, as long as you vote for 
you know, who they want you to vote for, all the right to environmental rights, race preference rights, all these things that we consider more important than the sacred. So we want to move in the direction that the world wants us to move with these, these rights and they change, they're fluid, they're not axiomatic. So I wanted to have a conversation. How do we recapture just the sense of the sacred, sacred time, sacred space? Life is sacred. Because I think sacredness is the first principle because it's a gift from God and it doesn't change. Well, that's wonderful. I'm looking forward to being a part of that. And of course, you can learn more about that through David's website. So thanks so much for being a guest today on How They Love Mary and really shedding light on what is Freemasonry and why a Catholic can't be a Freemason. Thanks for our Looney. Thanks for having me here.